Welcome to Bicycle Retail Radio, the bicycle industry podcast that brings retailers, vendors, advocates, and thought leaders to the mic for honest discussions about the latest issues facing retailers while taking an in-depth look at the person within the profession. Welcome to Bicycle Retail Radio. This is Heather Mason, NBDA President. Today's episode is with Eric Peterson, Business Development Manager at GoCycle. Eric has been working to bring the coolest purpose-built urban electric bikes to retailers throughout the central United States. Listen and learn how GoCycle, an electric hybrid direct model brand, is working with retailers as showroom and service partners, and how Eric himself sees the future of the supplier-retailer-consumer relationship. Lots here. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Eric. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Heather. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I am just thrilled. This early 2024, I saw you at one of the CABDA shows. Things are just pumping along. Lots to talk about. Really looking forward to diving into what you've been up to, what GoCycle has been up to, and just, yeah, the current state of all of this, right? <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. May you live in interesting times, and I think that we live in interesting times. We do. Yeah. So as I always do, before we jump into all the questions I have ready for you, you're in the hot seat. I'm warning you. Yep. But I always like to give our listeners a sense of the person on the podcast, a little bit about your background. And I'm always curious, like, how did you get to be where you are yep. now? So did you find cycling at an early age or? I did. I think like many kids growing up in the early mid 80s, you know, my first taste of freedom was really on the, in the seat of a, I had a, a super goose, 20 inch little, a super goose that I put together, the beautiful yellow mag rims. You had to have the pads that matched your grips that matched your wheels. It was super exciting. And so, you know, just, it just bombing around neighborhoods off of curves, up and down steps, everything we could do. We built a little dirt track behind the condo complex that we lived in. I'm from Milwaukee originally, and there was this little lake behind our place, Mud Lake. So we'd find ourselves bombing down the hill, building ramps, jumping into the lake, just doing, you know, and then tearing everything apart, cleaning it, and put it back together. That was kind of how I started it, you know, and then that progressed. I tore down a Schwinn Traveler, painted it, rebuilt it, everything like that. And then just, I just loved tinkering it with it because a bike was something that I could mechanically understand and I could get my hands around. I could, you know, kind of fix and work on things myself and just kind of enjoyed it because again, it was that sense of freedom. You know, you'd ride to that. There was a Schwinn dealer on 43rd and Layton in Milwaukee that I'd ride to once a week if I could, or there was a little, a little local shop on 51st and Loomis or, you know, and it's interesting now because the Schwinn dealer is now a Starbucks that tells you all you need to know, right? You know, what's happened in our, in our world. And then, you know, even, you know, my mom buying a Trek 400 at the wheel and sprocket on Forest Home in Milwaukee. So it was, you know, always around bikes, interested, had some mountain bikes when I, I got a little bit older and then had kids kind of moved, moved away from that a little bit, worked at Target within retail. I started life as a CPA um, and then I'm a recovering CPA. I ended up at Target. I worked in their stores and their finance division ran some special projects for them. And then, you know, four or five years ago, I was at a homecoming get together with some classmates of our son from the grade school that he went to. And we were, the parents were starting to talk about, you know, what is it that you want to do when you retire? Because we're all becoming a certain age, some of us closer than others. 
And I talked about wanting to live in a van and travel the country. And one of the people that was there said, hey, a company I work with just bought a van and we're looking for somebody to drive around the country. And that person was, you know, Richie Gittler. And he was looking to go cycle, had just purchased our Sprinter. And it was, you know, they were looking for somebody to kind of get jump into that business development sales role. And, and so, you know, we talked to each other and, and I met with Richard Thorpe, our founder. And then January 1st, 2020, I jumped on a plane, went to Europe and, and then came back and I've been doing it about four years. Oh, man. So I love learning people's history. I feel like we're all so connected in, in the industry. And hopefully our listeners pick that up January 2020. That's like two months before lots of the country was shut down. So I'm very interested on in how that went for you. Eric, I've been doing a lot of time and a lot of effort recently in podcasts, webinars, and forums talking about supplier relationships what the consumer expectation is of today. Those talks have included direct-to-consumer, inventory levels, discounting. I mean, there's a lot going on right now. And so part of that, I know you came on to our best practices panel and and were part of that event. And I thank you so much for lending your voice to that important conversation. So today, I have a bunch of questions to ask you. Sure. Just to cut to the chase, you know, yeah, and no a bunch worries. Of questions just around like the supplier, retailer, consumer relationship, because, right. yeah, I mean, you have an interesting history, even having that retail experience side with your target position, and then even that recovering CPA, which I love how you said that. <laughs> so just a great mind that looks at things from a particular way. And I think what you're doing with GoCycle, you're taking a lot of the the risk away from the retailer and allowing a retailer an opportunity to make full margin, but in a little bit different style. So if our listeners, if you're not familiar with GoCycle, I would challenge you when you're not driving to go to their website, gocycle.com. You can learn more about the brand there. So Eric, four years then, four years, beginning of the pandemic, how have like, what have you brought to the company or how has your role changed? You're director of business development, business development manager. So how has that kind of changed over the last couple of years? You know, it's territorially changed, expanding territory reach with changes internally. Also bringing on service folks here in the U.S. Service is a huge component of what we do. You know, I think in many cases, to my perspective, a lot of bike sales are are almost transactional. And I want to shift that. There's more of a life cycle of the transaction now, especially with electric bikes. That's a little bit of the education piece that we're trying to do, especially with our, our service team. You know, I've taken on roles here in the U.S., responsible for finance here in the U.S. as well, and, and dealing with our supplier relationships here in the U.S. And then, you know, basically jack of all trades, marketing, business development. Last year, spent a lot of time trade show. Uh, doing trade shows, consumer consumer facing trade shows. So a lot of different roles. And so areas. as you've seen us as an industry navigate what I would call some of the most challenging times over the past four years, I mean, this incredible boom to now a, de- a decrease in foot traffic. Like, what do you think? Is there a magic pill or where do you think as an industry we should be headed? I think the pandemic, and if you had a crystal ball, that'd be great. But I think the, the pandemic shined a light to many people, myself included, kind of a transition away from the bike as a recreational pursuit to the need of it as a transportation alternative. When our shops, when your shop 
were deemed essential services during the pandemic. I think that that, you know, while everybody else was shut down, et cetera, the shops out there were doing yeoman's work, just crazy work getting getting people because the bike was was considered one of the only ways that you could, you know, get the exercise in a socially distant manner. And then, you know, I talked to all the shops and I said, you know, people were bringing bikes that looked like they hadn't seen the light of day in 20, 25, 30 years. And they were bringing them into the shops and you, you know, then all of a sudden that led to the supply chain disruption that we had. You couldn't find an eight feet, 12 feet chain in the, in the U S to save your life, tires and tubes, you know, talking to shops that were up at 2 AM to try and order parts or go into their local big box retailer to see what kind of 20 and 26 inch tubes they might be able to get their hands on. Just, just absolute insanity. I, I felt like I was on a roller coaster and if you took the, the most thrilling roller coaster at magic mountain six flags cedar point and king's island and put it together that was kind of the the ride that i think we've all been on in the last you know four years yeah i like that analogy hopefully though we're coming out like stronger like better business owners better managers stronger suppliers more in, in tune to our numbers and able to communicate better so our partnerships are improved so I want to get into the unique way that GoCycle is working with retailers. But before that, we should give our listeners just a little bit about GoCycle. Sure. And maybe possibly if you would start with just mentioning a few of those key items that sets GoCycle apart from other electric bicycle brands on the market. Realistically, it's we were designed from the ground up to be an electric bike. It was a clean sheet design really our founder Richard Thorpe in, in the early 2000s looked outside his window in a flat in London and said this is unsustainable with traffic and congestion etc and put pencil to paper and designed our first models you know we've got a battery that it's not an afterthought where you take a traditional bike and slap piece parts onto it our motor is integrated into our fork our battery is integrated into our front frame you know we've got a lot of automotive technology and that we've got traction control so if your front if your front wheel is starts to spin more than two miles an hour faster than your rear wheel, it'll cut power out from a safety perspective. You know we've got our disc brakes actually stay on the bike; they don't aren't removed with the wheel. So you true them and they stay on the bike more like a car. Just things like that. It's it's really it's, it's a lightweight, clean, full size ride, compact design. It's super versatile and it's designed as really a fun form of transportation. Yeah, the website says no compromise, which I love. And the images, yeah, they show just a very streamlined, lightweight, easy to fold, easy to navigate bike. What I think is unlike anything we see on the market. How has your success been with retailers? Any, you know, if you could summarize some of the retailer response to the product on their floor, you know, like we see something online, but then you actually get the bike in store. Yep. I think the biggest positive feedback that I get, especially from retailers, is when they come off a test ride and they say, that ride's amazing. That ride, I didn't expect that. You know, they look at it and they look at compact wheels and they think small design, et cetera, but it's a full-size wheelbase and it's an upright ride. So it's, it's you're sitting up a little bit more. You've got a full-size wheelbase. You've got a little volume in the tires, a little suspension on the rear end. So it's, it's really comfortable and it's, you know, they come back with that smile and they say, I did not expect that. That's awesome. It, it rides like a full size. I'm like, it is a full size, but it's just. Yeah. If there's contact. like another plus one I need in my garage. <laughs> of course, I need a bigger garage, but. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So 
the electric bicycle market has really seen significant growth. And I I really do hope we continue to see that growth. And it seems like this smaller electric bike is something that the data and the trends are pointing to that consumers prefer. Is that what your, I'm sure you have access to a lot of data and you can see what consumers are looking at. You're nodding, so you must agree with me. It's interesting. When I started in the business in 2020, you didn't see very many compact wheel design bikes. You know, there were some very niche products. And now you've got the major players all bringing out compact wheel product. And, you know, and I say they're compact wheels, but the people powered land speed record was set on our wheels. So they, they actually from a rolling resistance and and all these engineering firms that our founder is very very adept at discussing that I'm I'm less adept at. He can tell you why the advantage and why that 20-inch wheel makes sense. Registration is officially open, and we want you to join us for the second annual NBDA Retailer Summit, May 22nd and 23rd in Bentonville, Arkansas. Our 2024 program features two dynamic days of presentations, panel discussions, and breakout sessions aimed to unite retailers and suppliers in conversation. Tickets include an event gift bag, tailored educational events, networking cocktail event and select meals, early access to the Bentonville Bike Fest, not to mention ample riding time on world-class trails. You won't want to miss it, so don't. Get registered today at nbda.com. So let's then jump over to how GoCycle is working with retailers. You have a very interesting way that you work with retailers that I, I think is truly beneficial to retailers and to the brand. And I'd say it's like a hybrid direct model. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? In reality, as we've talked about, you know, almost all brands are direct in some form or another. It's an omni-channel strategy. You know, some brands are just kind of more honest about it than others. Our showroom service partner model really recognizes that. It also recognizes that in many cases, we are not a primary destination style brand. We are a premium folding lightweight electric bike. And we've developed a program that allows our partners to participate with a fixed investment. They buy demo bikes at very attractive demo pricing from us. And then they have those demo bikes through a season or a season and a half. And then they sell directly out of our inventory. So our inventory is your inventory. You know, one of the things we heard during the pandemic and we saw during the pandemic was shops just absolutely buried in inventory. Mm-hmm. And then you had, you're guessing what size, what color, et cetera. With our model, you're not guessing. You know, people are coming in, they want to test ride, they're going to test ride the bike. And then our inventory is yours. If they want the red G4i plus, and there's one in the country, that's their bike. They can choose where that is shipped. They can have it shipped to your store. They can have it shipped to their location. When they get it, really assembly is a matter of pulling the bike out and installing the saddle, performing a PDI, and away you go. From a compensation perspective, then our retailers are paid a commission. We pay them once a month via direct bank transfer. You know, they're not paying transaction fees. They're not paying shipping fees. You know, they're not discounting the product. We talked about that highly promotional environment. And, you know, one of the things that we saw was that, you know, a consumer would go into your shop, they'd find what they like, and then they'd go home and find it online cheaper. And somebody would, from across the country, maybe selling it for a couple hundred dollars cheaper and throwing in free shipping. 
and it'd be shipped to your house. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of left out of that transaction. And, and we're trying to avoid that. We want to include that retailer that's local to the transaction. You know, there isn't the cost of carrying inventory, storing inventory, financing inventory. You know, customers have price certainty because they know they're getting the best price because everybody's paying the price through our web, the same price through our web store. And then if we have a promotion, everybody participates in the promotion. Again, if we offer a travel case, if we do a free shipping event, if we do any of those types of things, then they every partner participates at that same level. They're still getting their same commission percentage and they can participate that way. You know, we talked about the return on investment being basically unlimited because your expenses are fixed. You buy the demo bikes, you sell them at the end, and then every bike you sell, you're basically is pure profit, your profit upon that. And that frees up your capital for other things, advertising, doing events, other things that, you know, limited capital is, is good at, good for. So, you know, there's a lot of benefits to that. We feel like that it allows our brand to be in as many shops as possible. That's our goal. We want to be in as many shops as possible. We want to partner with shops. We don't want to necessarily cut their legs out from under them. Yeah. And it shows that you value the bicycle retailer, the local bicycle retailer. You value that people want to test ride your product. You value that that local retailer can assemble the product. Just talk more, a little bit more about the why behind. I mean, it seems like you realized that the retailer was an integral part of this relationship. They are. And and one of the things we know is that the vast majority of our owners want local test rides. And even a higher percentage want local service to mm-hmm. the tune where it's close to 90% want local service. And that's why we've done things like we've kind of led the way with really industry leading warranty repair rates. You know, we've done things with training our dealers to affect repairs locally to the extent that we can. You know, we've got QR codes now that allow our retailer partners to access basically the same diagnostic and repair tree that our mechanics do in our shops. And it gives them things like exploded parts lists and videos and how-tos. So they can just do that right in the stand in the shop. And, you know, we value that so much that we're actually this year, we're, we're redirecting some of our kind of our marketing dollars and we're putting that into actually compensating directly stops for offering test rides. So when somebody comes in the test ride a goat cycle, record the test ride, we'll compensate you for that. And that does two things. One, it, it values the shop for actually giving the test ride, but two, it also protects the shop because we capture that email address. And if a sale does take place, we have a trail. We can tie a, a, a sale to a, a shop. And that's really, we're trying to let the shops know that we're, we're trying to keep them involved and we want them involved. Because as I said before, it's, it's realistically, it's not a transactional event. It's a life event. There are many different touch points, especially with an electric vehicle. And that's what the go cycle is. I love that. I love that. And I know you're watching what other brands are doing and just even watching consumer trends you, you need to in the role you have. And you think that this sort of relationship is where, I mean, do you think that this sort of relationship is where we need to be headed as an industry? I mean, I think somehow we have to get through the, this expectation of large pre-seasons and 
lots of bikes on the floor and get more in tune with like just-in-time inventory and meeting customers. You're shaking, so you're following where I'm at. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Richard is very fond of saying that that the electric bike industry in particular is much more like the automotive industry than maybe the traditional bike shop. And, you know, in 2022, no less than the CEO of Ford Motor Company told his franchisees, his retailers, he told the dealer base, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to sell direct to consumers. You're going to have test models for them to come in and test. And then you're going to service those units. Be prepared. That's what's coming. You know, you can see it a little bit with Tesla. I think that, you know, the pandemic, it did two things. One, it exposed the consumer to the fact that they can get things delivered directly to their house. They can get exactly what they want delivered to their house when they wanted it. And then it also, it got them used to shopping online and shopping kind of in non-traditional ways for those larger purchases. So it's, you know, that fulcrum point is kind of, the tipping point is kind of coming a little bit. And when the Ford Motor Company CEO, and I looked it up yesterday just to prepare for this, so yeah, you know, Farley actually made that comment. And he said, you know, I use this discussion internally. I remember a number of years ago, my wife and I were looking for a mattress and there's the proliferation of bed in a box, right? Yeah. There's Purple, there's Casper, there's all of these brands. And a mattress was a very personal thing. You wanted to, you wanted to lay on something before you kind of purchased something. And, it's such and, a silly process though, Eric. It's like, right. you know, the first one I bought, I went to a uh, Marshall Fields furniture store and they had them all on the lower level and you'd roll off a one and onto another you'd roll off and and then you'd say okay I want that one and but then this last time what we did was there was an actual showroom and it was a third party showroom and they had basically all of the different bed in a box brands in their showroom and my wife and I made an appointment and we went and we brought our own top sheet and mm-hmm. we literally were able to test all of the different brands firmness, features, et cetera. And that started me thinking, it's like, well, yeah, if I'm doing that for mattresses, you know, if I want what I want, then maybe I'm willing to wait for a couple of days. And that started me thinking a little bit. And then we started seeing all the inventory situations at shops and all of these, you know, there were pricing pressure at the beginning of 2022 when inflation was at its peak. And, you know, it was, there were a lot of things involved. And we, we looked, internally and said, we want our goal as an organization is to get more people replacing car trips with bike trips. And we can't do that given the current prices, et cetera. So how can we lower the price of our product in an inflationary, so supply chain shortages, logistics, Mm -hmm. backlogs, and inflation. And we've actually brought our prices down. Excellent. And this is a way for us to do that. We need to be healthy. The shops need to be healthy. I think what you're doing is great. I think it's incredibly useful for the retailer. You're removing barriers for people, for customers to do business with you because they have a spot where they can go see the bikes, test the bikes, feel comfortable with the assembly of the bikes. And then you're finally delivering a premium product to the end user. And it's just beautiful and seamless. So how many different bikes do usually the retailer have in their showroom or in their test center? Like, does it need to be two or three? Yep. Yep. It's, you know, we're, floor space is critical. Floor space is at a premium. Our bikes are small. You know, it's really, we talk about having one folded so consumers can see that it's folded and one that's ready to ride. 
that's the big key, you know, but now with the fold taking 10 seconds and a little bit of practice, realistically, it's getting a couple of those units. And then for us, the big thing is get one of our G4i demo models and then the model behind me, which we just announced that we haven't really said anything about, which is our family cargo model, which is coming. I've seen the prototypes are that close to being ready for prime time, which is exciting for us. As we record this in the middle of February, you know, there's excitement that in the not too distant future, we'll have images and video, et cetera, and it, it will be a real tangible. And I've seen them and they're amazing, but it's a matter of, you know, we want a family cargo demo unit. We want a fast folding G4i unit as well. So that's, you know, we're looking at two to three units. Yeah. I love cargo and I love how it's coming and, you know, in some ways it's here and some ways it's coming. So very excited. And I like the idea that, yeah, you have one folded up on the floor for the retailer to show. So if I'm understanding correctly, you're giving the retailer a great incentive to bring in these demo bikes. Right. And then also encouraging them to get people out on test rides and even in some cases rewarding. And then as the retailer needs bikes, as consumers are ready to purchase, they can order from you and deliver that bike to the customer. And everything's good. There's no large inventory requirements. How has the feedback been from retailers? I see a dealer locator on your website. looks like you have a lot of partners. So. We're always in the market for more. That's, you know, we that's where we go to the cab to show. That's why we're out on the road. That's where the Sprinter came from originally. It's, you know, with anything, just like the adoption of the Go Cycle when it was introduced, anything that is new or unique or different is going to take a little bit of time. And if we were in a time of relative stability to bring out a new program, it would probably be, you know, I'd like to see it faster. Everyone wants more, faster, sooner, et cetera. And what's happened what I see is that that dealer education, as those showroom partners kind of embrace what they can receive from it, and they see the direct deposit into their accounts and realize that, you know, go cycles tend to go out the door in pairs. You know, what ends up happening is couples will end up buying them. And that really is an accelerant factor that they say, hey, wait, I've got this unit. I can ride it. I, the more I, I ride it, I use Richie, my old partner's phrase to know the go cycle is to love the go cycle. So we want people out there riding it and they're conversation starters, but it's, it's steady. I would love it to be accelerated, but I realize also there's a long game involved and there's a lot of education involved in it as well. Do you feel that as you approach retailers who maybe don't know of the way that go cycle is working with retailers, that the feedback is positive and that it is a response that's like, I wish more brands would work in this fashion. It's somewhat of a mixed bag. I think that it depends on kind of the person's background and perspective. A lot of retailers, their overriding driving metric is margin, 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 margin. What's that margin? And everything is always quoted. And trust me, we used to do this on the sales side that we'd always quote the highest, but then you'd never kind of get all the layer, peel the onion, so to speak. You know, if this is my gross number, what's my actual net number? Mm-hmm. And, and what I do is I kind of shift that conversation away from a margin discussion and more to a return on investment, i.e., how much capital are you spending and what does your return look like? And when I talk about our crossover point being that roughly if you sell three units under our program, everything after that, your return is exceeding the traditional wholesale model. 
it's a little bit of an education piece, but I've had partners that have accepted it and said, if you need a spokesperson, let me know. I'd be happy to talk to people. It is a conversation that we're continually having in our P2 program, which is our small groups of retailers that we unite to work on profitability factors with inventory, because anytime we do a purchase, let's say it's black shorts or whatnot, you've got like extra small, small, you've got the size run, right? And even if you're buying those shorts at Keystone, so you're making 50 points, let's be honest, at the end of the day, are you going to sell that double XRL large or that extra small for full margin? Probably not, right? So you have to average that out and know that you're going to lose a couple points on a couple items. So in this case, like you have to look at it that way. You have to look at the long game, not just like what that number is up front. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And and I think part of it is that, you know, shops have limited open to buy. My retail background, it's, I'm familiar with that open to buy concept. And if I wanted to bring in a cool product, but my open to buy was, if I was at my limit, I couldn't bring anything more in. And mm-hmm. what we're hopeful is that with this model, it's a cool product. It's a super well-reviewed product. It's a unique product. And as such, we're trying to lower that investment barrier to entry and allow people to really kind of have a cool, versatile, easy, fun product that they've got on their floor that they can continually sell off of that one investment, that first investment. Yeah. Well, and that allows you, that frees your capital up to do other things. Like I said before, it's whether it be marketing or events or all of those other things that you wish you had more yeah. capital to do. A hundred percent. All right. So Eric, I could talk all day about this because I'm a fan. I think it's something that as we continue to evolve, as operating expenses go up and floor space, maybe we have to think about ways to lower our operating expenses. Maybe our spaces get smaller, not having warehouses to stock a ton of inventory ourselves as retailers is good. But let me ask you, I would be not doing our listeners justice if I didn't ask you about like some of the challenges that might come from this sort of partnership. I'm sure there's some challenges, right? There are. The number one challenge is making sure that we have that color that they want, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's not us. Our job is to then use the data to make sure we've got the inventory that the country needs. The next big challenge and the one that I tend to hear a fair bit really revolves around kind of almost an impulse purchase which is really a unique concept to me because, you know, in the four years I've been in the business, we've talked about the e-bike purchase really being kind of a three visit. It started as a three visit purchase. And now it's probably a two and change purchase where you would come into a, a shop, you'd learn about your options, you'd leave, you'd come back, you'd really narrow your focus on maybe a couple of options. And then the third purchase was when you finally came back and bought. Oh, wow. And that, that's when you wanted what you wanted, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the world of the internet being what it is now, consumers have all of that information kind of at their fingertips. They just don't have, they haven't figured out how to, to translate that information into knowledge. There's a difference. I was talking with Michael down at Bicycle Michaels in New Orleans, and we, that's kind of a, what we hit upon is that, you know, when I said, where do you see your role? And he's celebrating his 40th anniversary this year. And he really, he talked about, you know, they've got all this information, but how do they turn that information into knowledge? And that's really the role of that IBD, that local bike shop expert is really, you know, helping the customer translate what they think they want or what they think they need to what they actually might want, what they actually might need or what they can actually get. And that's really that piece that that shop is doing. But in our case, to circle back to your question, is that 
bike shops are, are hesitant because they feel like they might lose that impulse purchase or they say, I want that bike and I want it today. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I've necessarily seen that as much as I'm being led to believe. I think that, as I was talking about earlier with the pandemic, people were okay with waiting a couple of days to get exactly the item they wanted in the color they wanted. And that's what we're trying to get to is say, okay, that challenge is I don't have that unit. And the fear is if they walk out the door, I'm going to lose the sale. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to encourage through recording the test ride and getting the email and working with the retailers is, listen, if they do purchase from us, we have that and you're going to get the credit and we're going to get them what they want. The NBDA values the importance of deep interpersonal connections, and our Retailer Summit is designed to be a catalyst for just that. Attending the Retailer Summit in May ensures you meet the right people who know the bicycle industry, respect your business, and want to help you grow, both personally and professionally. It's an easy way to take your business to the next level through networking, engaging with panelists and speakers, problem solving with your fellow attendees, followed by ample riding time on world-class trails. Go to nbda.com slash retailer summit for more information and to get your tickets today. Yeah, I was actually in a conversation this morning with a well-known iconic Italian brand asking about their distribution model for the U.S. And they were pointing to their data from their European market sales, pointing to that customers are preferring customization and personalization right now. And in that would be okay with waiting. But I think a lot of this also comes down to our sales team and training our sales staff to approach the conversation Like we want to close the sale. We want to get the sale. We want to make sure the customer stays with us, but stressing more this like personalized experience and this bike is going to be ordered to your spec, your color, what you would like. And we can really capitalize on that if we have the right conversations, we put the conversation in the right context. Yeah. I think, you know, somebody made a mention to me when I first started in the business and said that there had been training programs that, you know, learning to sell what you have in inventory, Mm -hmm. basically sell what you have. And I think that there's a transition that, and really a collaboration between the retailer and the supplier to really get the consumer what they want and what they need. That's where that kind of that collaboration can work is is our job is to get them what they want, not what we have to sell them. Yeah. And people want to feel taken care of. Like if you came into my store, I'd be like, Eric, I'm so thrilled you're here. You're going to love this new cargo bike. I talked to my friends at Go Cycle. They have it in orange. I know that's your favorite color. (laughs) So why don't we just wait, you know, or order you exactly the thing you're going to be happy with? Because you're going to be riding this for years, you know? Exactly. That's the whole idea. I mean, you know, and that's why I talk about that life cycle, that life, you know, it's really, we're now looking at, and our warranty is is now mileage based. We've gone to a two year, two thousand mile warranty, and we're saying, you know, if you get a two thousand mile service done and paid to the retailer, we'll extend the warranty for another two thousand miles, up to five years and ten thousand miles. So we're really trying to encourage kind of that life cycle of ownership and repeat visits into the shop for those inspections and things like that. So yeah, it's not just about, it's not the transaction. That's just the starting point. It's everything that comes after that. Everything that comes after. Yeah. So 
we're talking about digital platforms, you know, like, so customers visit your website, they view the product, then they're looking at where they can take a test ride, then they're finding your dealer locator. So it's important that the communication that like everything is up to date, that you have your dealers online, so they're easily accessible. But also on the back end, you're expecting, I'm sure that your retail partners have your product listed on their website, know what you have in stock too. So it's really, we talk about communication in a two-way street. I'm sure there's some expectations that you have of your retailers as well, right? Yeah. We talk about dedicated landing page, landing space, and realistically, it's a change. And I love I love this. Is it okay to brag up some of my partners that have done something? It's, yeah, you know, yeah. the folks at Century Cycle in Cleveland came on board last year and they really embraced the program. And it was you know, a lot of retailers' websites look very similar. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of similarities. We're using the same background platforms, et cetera. And it's all about here's the price, here's the sizes, purchase now. There was always that kind of that call to action. And the call to action was always purchase now. And we worked with Century and we worked with Sean down at the garage in Cincinnati about transitioning from a purchase now to book a test ride. Mm-hmm. And realistically, so if they come through our dealer locator and we point them to your spot, we want that click here, book that test ride. We want to follow through on that because that's what we're engaged. We're trying to drive them the footfall into the stores. We want that footfall. We want the bums on the bikes because that's a hugely important way for us to market the product that we have. I love that you pointed that out. And I just looked up Century Cycles and I saw their test ride, the Go Cycle. So you've definitely done a great job with that. As far as customer expectations for the future, when it comes to test drives, when it comes to even booking those items online, are you noticing is your data telling you that consumers are favoring, like reserving a test ride time ahead of time versus the drop-in? I don't know if you have that information. Yeah, it's difficult to get the information on the drop-in piece. Anecdotally, you can point to the fact that, you know, during the pandemic with employee shortages, et cetera, lots of shops were able to, you know, labor being a huge component of their expense, they cut their hours back and some shops have expanded them back and some shops haven't expanded them back. So there are some that are really limited doing more with less, so to speak. And so that booking that test ride is more important. It, it allows you to, if there is that expert in the shop that's lived with the bike a little bit more than somebody else, it gives them a chance to have that person there so that they can speak to that product, ma- that subject matter expert when they're in the yeah. store. I have a question here just about as we're moving forward in this changing you know, I'd say changing way of doing business with self-checkout lines, e-com. I mean, it seems like everything is just continually changing. There's a new Amazon. I forget the name of it, but I saw it during the (laughs) Super Bowl commercials. How would you, if I had to say, hey, Eric, you're living in this world where you're dealing with this hybrid direct model. It's something that I'm sure you're continually monitoring. Any insights that you would give to retailers, traditional brick and mortar retailers, on how to adjust their strategy to maintain competitive in this new changing landscape? I think, you know, my experience in retail, I was, I was at a big box store based in Minneapolis for over a decade. And really, they understood their brand. They understood what the customer experience was, was like in their store. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about is that a brand is really an expectation of future experience. So what are the retailers 
doing to showcase their brand. That's how you differentiate because my experience in one shop is going to be completely different than my experience in another. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is, you know, don't be afraid to get personal. Some of the best brands are those that connect on a personal basis. It's, you know, one shop, you know, Jillian at BFF in Chicago, she's got, you know, she's not even a retailer of ours, but I've been in her shop a number of times. I respect what she's doing. You know, she speaks to an audience in her shop and it's all about that personal connection. It's the whole why, why am I doing what I'm doing and cutting through that noise because there is so much noise out there, competition from all directions, flutter, all of this stuff. And realistically, it, what is that one piece, that thread that pulls through your brand online and that extends into your shop so that when somebody walks in your door, they know what to expect and it's consistent and it's mm-hmm. repeatable. And it's just not reliant on the owner or one person or another. It's it's across the whole experience. I love that messaging. I love what you're saying there. And I 100% agree. Just as far as the future for e-bike sales, for how you're seeing retailers find success with accelerating those e-bike sales, any tips there? You know, a lot of things are going to be dictated by the government, large and small. Okay, we've got whether it be regulations or incentives or rebates or infrastructure spends or even exclusionary zones where vehicle traffic is shut off. So there's there's a lot of that. I think the key for me, and it's less so for the retailer, more so for the environment, and we talk about this internally a lot, is we really want to see a move away from incentivizing purchase because that just incents people to purchase and it sits in the garage. Yeah. We want to see the incentive move towards utilization. You know, I get compensated. I get compensated to ride my bike to work. My wife works for a healthcare company. And I think about how can large employers work with healthy benefits, where if you replace a certain number of vehicle trips with bike trips, we're going to put a certain dollar amount into your healthcare spending, or we'll help subsidize the purchase of e-bikes through shops. You know, the University of Kentucky has the program where if you sell your parking space back to them, they'll give you a rebate to be used in a bike shop in that area. You know, there's a lot of really innovative things like that. There's, you know, the whole cul-de-sac project in Tempe, Arizona, where it's a car-free environment, and they're really encouraging community and the use of bikes and things like that. I think that anything that we can do and the ways that retailers and employers can kind of work towards moving the incentive towards utilization, that's going to help spur that adoption. I love that. Yeah, just talking about the mobility and getting people on their bikes. I mean, I love the e-bike rebate program. You know, I love what that's done. If we could take it one step further, as you're saying, and entice people to actually get on their bikes now and use them instead of sit in the garage. Absolutely. You know, we're a UK-based company, so there's a lot of Eurocentric, and we talk about, my partners overseas talk about Amsterdam and the traffic and the fact that you go through there now and it's a completely different environment. Not most American cities are going to be like that. However, you know, that's where that innovation at the local level, protected bike lanes or those those cul-de-sac type environments or University of Kentucky that's doing their programs, et cetera. Those are the things that'll kind of bubble up. I think, you know, it's always important to get top-down change. But I think the most meaningful, impactful things are the things that happen locally that kind of work their way up, especially in the U.S. 
100%. Eric, it has been awesome to connect with you and learn more about how GoCycle is working in a unique way, really taking a lot of risk, I think, off the retailer, providing an opportunity for retailers and consumers to connect and highlight the value of the local bicycle retailer. I know you are looking for more partners, more butts on bikes. So it'll be great. So if someone is listening and they want to connect with you to learn more about bringing the brand in, just ask questions, just dig deeper into the supplier best practices, some of the things that you're highlighting here. What's a contact you would share? Super simple. It's eric at ghostcycle.com. E-R-I-C at ghostcycle.com. Super simple. So Cabda East is coming up. Are you headed there? That's the plan. Excellent. I will see you there. Am I going to see you dancing some more on the, uh, just out of curiosity? I won't let, for those that weren't there, I won't let too much out, but. Anyone who hasn't hung out with me or maybe the rumors are out there. I do love to dance. It is something I do love to do. And I love the Cabda shows because Jim always brings in some great music. So he does. He does. It's well known within our company, the bagpipes at the, at the beginning and end of shows and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's great stuff. Awesome. Well, Eric, I appreciate what you're doing for the industry and I appreciate your involvement in our best practices forum. You know, what you shared last time was really great. And so listeners, if you haven't seen the recent episode or the recent meeting of our forum, there's a recording on our YouTube channel, best practices for suppliers and retailers. And Eric was on that and he's a panel member on that forum. Thanks again, Eric. All right, Eric. Well, I guess I'll see you on the dance floor. Uh, Yes, you might do that. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Bicycle Retail Radio. This podcast is designed specifically for the bicycle industry, dedicated to strengthening our retailers and cycling community. If it is your first episode, we urge you to take the time and listen to our past episodes. Support the show by first subscribing, then share your favorite episode online with friends. You can go one step further and leave a review. It helps members of our industry find our podcast. Special thanks to NBDA Development Director Rochelle Scouten for editing and promotional graphics. Music provided by Joel Picard.